I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Praise be to God for his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as your church. We thank you for preserving your word for us, Lord, that we might read it, that we might study it, and that it instructs us about you and ourselves, Lord, and our need for you. Lord, we pray that indeed our life would be in Christ, that we would abide with you daily, moment by moment, for it is you that gives us all that we have. Preserve us this day and open your word to us this morning, Lord, that we might know more about you. Lord, we pray that earnestly we would seek the giver, not the gift, that indeed we would be looking past the gifts, for the gifts are just awesome, Lord, just incredible what's in your word. But may we seek after you and desire you first and foremost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dave. Love that we are getting the opportunity every single week to read through this passage together um, and to really drill it into our hearts and souls as we are memorizing it together. And I, we do encourage you, keep going. Uh, if you've made it a couple paragraphs in or a paragraph in, phenomenal. If you haven't started at all, that's okay too. Uh, but we want to encourage you, keep going, uh, keep memorizing, keep pressing in. Uh, and this morning, we are talking about the practices of the abiding life. So far, we've talked about the theology of the abiding life. We talked about the enemies of the abiding life last week. And this week, we're talking about practices of the abiding life or how to abide, which really is crucial. One of, one of the problems with Christianity today or, or popular Christianity today is we're great at taking in information, 
but we're not necessarily great at putting things into practice. And yet Jesus in Matthew 7 at the end of the Great Commission, sorry, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon ever, he paints us a picture as that comes to a close. As he talks about the difference between a wise man and a foolish man. And the difference between the two isn't that they've heard or learned. The difference between the two is one has heard and ignored. The other one has heard and put into practice the things that have been said. As we look around at Christianity today, in our current cultural moment, I don't know that we have an information problem. I think we have a practice problem. We've got more information than we've ever been able to have in this little thing right here and in this amazing thing right here. We have more information at our fingertips than ever. And yet we have more depression. We have more sadness. We have more greed, perhaps, maybe not than ever. I'm not doing a historical lesson here, but we have issues where we know the right answer in our brains. But for some reason, there's a disconnect between how I actually live my life. Have you guys experienced this? Anybody? You might, your brains might be going to something that Paul said in Romans where he says, I know the very thing that I, I do the very thing that I know I, not, I, I, I ought not to do. Or perhaps you've had a moment with a friend where you know that something got a little bit heated, maybe a little bit emotional, and then you know you took it too far, and you're like, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. Or you had that moment with, um, you know, your, perhaps with your kid, where they're starting to lose their mind. <laughs> they're starting to act like a two-year-old, even though you want them to act like a 30-year-old. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself starting to act like a two-year-old also? We know what we ought to do. I know that I ought to be patient. I know that I ought to be calm. I know that I shouldn't yell. I know that I shouldn't threaten with something that I'm not actually going to do, hopefully not going to do anyway. And all that I'm trying to say is, for, for many of us, there is a giant, there, I don't want to say giant, because maybe it's, for some it might be giant, for some it might be small, but there's a disconnect between what I declare with my mouth and the practices that exist in my life. And if there is a disconnect for long enough between what I declare with my mouth and the practices that exist in my life, you are going to go crazy. You are going to go crazy. Which I think is one of the reasons why John 15 is so doggone important. Because it's a continual pullback to abide, be with Jesus. To constantly return to the vine. 
in order that we might be connected with him and also bear fruit. So friends, as we talk about the abiding life, I want us to know that the abiding life that Jesus talks about, it's not going to happen by accident. It takes intentionality and participation. And as we talked about last week, we have enemies in this world. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil, all of which desire nothing more than for you to not abide in the vine. Verse 6 in John 15 reminds us that if anyone does not abide in me, this matched with Jesus' command and invitation to abide with him repeatedly throughout John 15 gives us the indication that it is possible to not abide in him. One of the most interesting pieces about John 15 is that it's beautiful, like we talked about in the theology of the abiding life, that God abides with us. But there is a participation required on our part to abide in him. Our father doesn't want a robot. Our father doesn't want somebody to do something just because he said it. He desires his sons and his daughters to intentionally engage in the abiding life. But why should you care? Why should I care about the abiding life that Jesus talks about in John 15? One, if, if we're somebody who declares that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that means that we believe that Jesus is King. And he said that we should do it. He said, abide in me. So we should care about what he says and do it. That's, we should take those words seriously. If he says to abide in him, we should. The second, like we talked about two weeks ago, is that the whole goal and the point of the abiding life is that we get to be with God, the creator of the universe. We've always been designed to be with him. And Jesus is inviting us not to do something that's harmful for us, but actually calling us to be a part of the most beautiful relationship that we could possibly be a part of. And that should be something that we're excited about, I think. And then third, and we'll talk about this next week, but Jesus tells us that if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. For apart from him, we can do nothing. So abiding in Jesus, according to Scripture, is crucial to living a life of significance, of abundance, of producing and blessing those around us. But what I want us to see is that this abiding life does require our participation. And I love, there's a verse in Second Peter, a few verses that, that I love that, that play into this, even though it's not talking specifically about the abiding life, but the ongoing work and the invitation for our participation. He says this in Second Peter 1, 5 through 8, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and to goodness, Knowledge into knowledge, self-control into self-control, perseverance into perseverance, godliness into godliness, mutual affection into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, next week, we're talking about the product of the abiding life or the outcomes of the abiding life. So I'm not going to dive into it too much here. But what I want us to see is that the abiding life involves your and my participation. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed, excuse me, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And as we are starting this message, I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to lay any guilt or burden or shame on anyone. This invitation to abide in Jesus is just that. It is invitation. But for many of us, because of the training in which we've received from this world, our flesh, and the enemy, it will sound like work. And it may not feel natural. But the question is, do we want the abiding life? And I think for most of us, we at least desire to live the life that God desires us to live. Or maybe you may not be there. Maybe you want to want the life that God desires for you to live. And what I want us to see in John 15 and as we talk through this message is that I believe there is so much more available to us as we grow in towards the ideal of the Christian life. J.K. Chesterton says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. The Christian ideal has been found difficult and left untried. One more time, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The invitation into the abiding life includes you and I trying to engage in the life that God has made possible through Jesus. But let me make this incredibly clear. You are, have never been made to do it alone. You've been given the Holy Spirit who is helper, who dwells within you. God is making his home in you. So as we talk about practices this morning, as we look to the life of Jesus, None of this is invitation for you to all of a sudden say, doggone it, I'm going to try really hard and I'm going to make it into this abiding life. It is going to be a partnership with the one who has made his home within you. That submits to saying, God, I desire to have the life that you want me to have. Would you help bring that into fruition? So how? How do we do it? How do we live an abiding life? I think for many, if you were to ask, like in, just really quickly, for if I were just throw out to you, what, what would be a practical thing that you would do to abide in Jesus? Throw out some answers. What's a practical thing you would do? Huh? Pray. Great. What else? Think about him. Great. Read his word. Great. Sing hymns. Great. Fast. Awesome. Study with a brother or sister in Christ. Talk about them. This is great. On the surface, when we talk about abiding, it's 
it's, it's an easy thing to talk about, I think. Really, if you were to ask, hey, what's, give me three things in which you would say need to be in somebody's life in order to have a life that abides in Jesus, I would guarantee you that, I don't know, 90% of the people who answer the question would say at least two of those things are praying and reading the Bible. And those are good answers. <laughs> and those are going to be the bedrock, really, of our abiding life. But I want to tease something out for a few moments for us. Because once again, we have this amazing person whose name is Jesus, who is 100% God, 100% man, who took upon flesh, who, according to Paul in Philippians, emptied himself out. And yes, he went to the cross on our behalf, but he also is the best example as to how abide in God. Because as we read in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So where should we look to turn as, at how to practice the abiding life? Jesus, Sunday school answer. Jesus gives us examples of how to abide. But sometimes I just want us to under, see that when we look at Jesus, sometimes we look at the fruit of Jesus' life and we want to copy those things. We want to copy his miracles we want to copy his patience. We want to copy uh, his love for the poor, which are all great things. Those are great things to desire, but not many people actually want to copy the interior life of Jesus. We just want the cool things that Jesus did. So we're going to try and look at Jesus' life briefly. Again, this is just, we're just going to be scratching. Oh, doggone it, I left my books in the car. I'll get those before we end. This is going to be scratching the surface of practices because this message honestly could go on for like days. This is something I'm passionate about. This is something I struggle with and it's something that I believe the church desperately needs. But I do think we need to continue to look back to Jesus. But I think a question that's important for us and that I encourage you to write down and spend time with Jesus about this question. Do you, do I, believe that we can actually in, abide in Jesus like he invites us to in John 15? Do we genuinely believe that we can abide in Jesus like Jesus invites us to in John chapter 15? And again, I'm not talking about you on your own strength and your own fortitude. Because I, my suspicion is that most of us might sort of say yes, sort of say, I don't know, well, maybe that's just for these people. But I want us to think, even as you're answering that question, what have we, what have we walked through so far? We've talked about our theology of abiding and that we have been created from the foundations of the world to be with him, to be connected to him, to be united to him. And because of the finished work, of Jesus on the cross, which we all, most of us would agree theologically to be true, that is now made possible. We are now united with him 
and are now able to actually abide in him. But I do think for many of us, when it comes to living a life with God, we tend to think of it as something that is somewhat unattainable. And so many of us give up before we ever try. Rather than actually taking Jesus at his word. And not just at his word, at his action. So I just want to stir you in that, let you chew on that a little bit. Because I do, that has a big impact on whether or not we actually engage participate in this abiding life that we're invited to. Okay, so how do we abide? Um, we're going to look at Jesus' life, and again, some of this is going to be really quick-ish um, because we are tight on time. So we'll start first with this. Uh, we, we have different sections of, of abiding. We have sections of, of, of abiding alone, abiding together, and abiding on the way. Jesus gives us great example of a life of abiding alone, vertically with God. One of the, we see this out, come out really early in Mark 1.35 and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Mark, at the very beginning, marks this practice of Jesus. And if it, this was the only time we heard about Jesus doing this, maybe we're like, oh, he just occasionally prayed. But we see this throughout the Gospels. We see this in many places after the multiplication of loaves in Mark 6. Or in Luke 6, immediately before choosing the 12 disciples, he went to the hills to pray. And all night he continued to, in prayer to God. Before Peter's confession in Luke 9, 18, now it happened as he was praying alone, and the disciples were with him. Or right before the transfiguration in Luke 9. Before teaching on the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. Before crucifixion in the garden in Matthew 26. There is a repeated pattern of Jesus regularly praying and spending time alone with the Father. But I want us to recognize something. Is it always early in the morning? No. Is it always alone, alone? No. Is it always at night? No. Is it always all night? No. One of the problems we have is we try and create these formula, formulas. If I do X, Y, and Z, then equals this. What I want us to see is that even in the life of Jesus, we don't have an X, Y, and Z equals this, the abundant life. What we see from Jesus is intentionality, regularity, and flexibility when it comes to his life and prayer and connection with God. What I want us to see from Jesus' example is we cannot have an abiding life with God. We cannot be with God without a prayer life. That has intentionality, regularity, and flexibility. Eric talked on this last week as he talked about one of the primary ways to combat the enemies of the abiding life was through prayer. And this is absolutely true. I think prayer is one of the most challenging things for Western wealthy Americans to do. Why should I pray? 
I've got every answer I need with just a few clicks away on Google. I've got a pretty decent 401k. My kids are doing okay-ish. I've got a house, can't afford, but that's okay. Why would I pray? Because actually many people deep down in their psyche, they say the reason I should pray is because I need, to do, I need God to do things for me. Friends, that is not why prayer exists. Prayer does not exist for God to do things for you. Prayer is a means to commune with the living God who from the creation of time has created you, all humanity, to be with him. Now, he's a good father who knows what we need before we even ask. Praise God for that. But that is not the point of prayer. And we see this with Jesus. There are moments where we see the prayers of Jesus, like Jesus in the garden before Gethsemane. This is raw Jesus coming out. This is honest Jesus. God, if there be any other way, please take this away from me, this thing that's coming. If there's any other way, please, God. But nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. And then we have other moments that are relatively silent to us, where he rises early in the morning while it's still dark, and he goes and prays. What did he pray about? I don't know. Did he talk? Did he listen? Well, I don't I don't know. But friends, so many of us, our lives are so loud that there's barely any room to pray. I don't say that to guilt you. All that I'm saying is that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we now have access to the living God. And the invitation is wide open. It's never shut. He will always hear the cry of his sons and his daughters. He will always hear them. The question is, do we want to hear him? Do we want to listen to him? Which is another major aspect of abiding in God. It's not just praying, but it's also listening to him, both in prayer and in his word. The abiding life involves engaging with God in his word, listening to him. Jesus says in verse 9 of John 15, if we abide in him, we will do what he commands. How are we to know what Jesus' commands are? By his word. <laughs> Psalmist says, meditate on his word day and night. This is our, our daily bread. These, we believe these to be the inspired words of God that are useful for all areas of life. Yes, God will speak in a still small voice, but he has also written many words in here that speak loudly all of the time if we're able to listen, to read, to engage. But I want us to know that Jesus himself did this. Jesus engaged with scripture. If you did our discipline where we on um, the Sunday before New Year's, we went to Luke 2 and we watched Jesus stay in the temple and what is he doing? He's studying, reading scripture. He's growing in wisdom and knowledge and favor with God. Jesus himself, who is 100% man, 100% God, guess what? He learned scripture. He learned this. 
empowered by the Spirit, so much so that in, when, in his come-out moment in Luke 4, what does he do? He reads Scripture from Isaiah 61 and says, the year of the Lord's favor has come. I have come to preach the good news to the captives, to the poor. If we are to abide in Jesus, we must be a people of prayer and we must be a people who engage with the word of God. Jesus used the word to fend off the enemy in Luke in the temptation, right? He used the word to address the Pharisees who weren't understanding the heart of God. He used the word even to explain what was to happen about his life, death, and resurrection. If we want to be a people who abide in Jesus, we need to be a people who engage with the word of God. And notice I'm using the word engage and not learn and not study. Because there's a difference. There are plenty of people who don't care about who Jesus is or Jesus' plan for redemption in the world who know a lot about this book. But they have no desire to engage, to abide in the vine. So if we are to abide in Jesus, the two most crucial places for that the most if we're to look at like the building blocks of abiding prayer and engaging with god's word are the places and my question for you and i and i think all of us would say that right well yeah we've got to pray and we've got to read the next question for you to address is this what do the practices of my life reflect do the practices of my life reflect one who is abiding in prayer and abiding in engaging with God in his word. And friends, we need to walk in honesty. We don't have to be afraid of what is true. But we must not be fools who say, yeah, my practices in life don't really determine the things that I love. That is baloney sandwiches, friends. The practices of your life actually do specifically reveal what you love and what you abide in. So we have this alone space where we are called to abide. And this upward relationship with God through prayer as we talk with him, we listen with him, we're following Jesus' example, and we engage with God's word regularly. There's no desire for any of these things to be legalistic or moralistic. This is all invitation into relationship. But we also have opportunity to abide together. Jesus showed us this as well, and this is super broad and brief, and I understand that we don't have time for it all. But Jesus abided together with the disciples as he shared meals with them. He took advantage of the natural rhythms of life, and as they sat and shared meals together, they abided with the Father, and they abided together. as they gave thanks, as they talked of the goodness of God, as they shared gratitude, and as they encouraged one another. They also had a regular practice of Sabbath, which we have lost. Which is a full day committed to saying, I don't need to work today because Yahweh is in control. 
We can abide and be grateful for him. And then also gathering together regular for worship, encouragement, and fellowship. Jesus did these things all while abiding in the Father, and so can we. And then the third is that Jesus also showed us what abiding on the way looks like. In this one, we have to take a little bit of... um, uh, a little bit of freedom with just, just because we're, we're working from the point that Jesus permanently, he always abided with the Father, right? And I want us to see that Jesus on the way, abi- well, ah, my words. The reason I want to specifically speak on this for a second is so often we can think that abiding means I have to turn into a monk. I've got to spend 16 hours a day in quiet. I can never use a cell phone. I can't turn on a light switch. And if I don't pray for at least X amount of hours, I'm a bad person. Guys, if there's anything coming from my mouth that it sounds like that, please know that is not what I'm saying. Jesus himself, with the bedrock of abiding in him through prayer and engagement of his word and being connected in that sense, Jesus also abided with the Father on his way. A few examples for us that I'm going to reference. How about the wedding at Cana, right? Jesus is going to this wedding at Cana, and he's sitting down. He's just at this meal because his mom invited him to come, and he's being a good little Jewish son. And he's there, and his mom comes and says, they're out of wine. We need help. And he's like, woman, please, no. My hour's not yet come. But something happens (laughs) between that moment and what happens next, where Jesus does get up. And he takes those purification jars and he changes water into wine. I would argue that what happens is that as Jesus is going, because John 5 tells us that I do nothing except for what I see the Father doing. Is what we're told in John 5. So what I can then gather from that is that in John 3, as this is happening at the wedding in Cana, what's taking place? He's saying, oh, the Father's on about something that I didn't know. I I." I didn't think he was going to be on about. And so he steps in. On the go. We have a next moment. Just move the next chapter down. The woman at the well, the start, the context of this, it says that as he was going from Jericho to Galilee, or excuse me, from Judea to Galilee, he, there's a crucial word here, he had to go through Samaria. No Jew would ever travel through Samaria if they could avoid it. He had to, why did he have to go to Samaria? The father must have revealed something to him, right? He had to go through Samaria, and he's thirsty. Well, he's at this well. This woman happens to be there. All of a sudden, things are going on. He's having a conversation with him. Where's your husband? And then all of a sudden, we get, oh, you don't have one husband. You have five husbands, or you've had five husbands. Keep going, next chapter. Jesus at the pool of Bethsaida. There are multitudes of those who are sick, who are lame, who are blind. Like lots of. For some reason, God highlights this one. But Jesus says, I do nothing except for what I see the Father doing. What I want us to see is that this invitation into abiding life isn't just in the alone spaces, but it's in the every moment of our life spaces. 
and that the abiding life could potentially be the most exciting life you could ever live. Seriously. Because everywhere you go becomes an opportunity. Many of you have practiced an abiding prayer, one that we're, like our family's abiding prayer is Jesus is with me. We've been practicing saying this on a regular basis, and it's been really beneficial. I'd encourage you that as we look to continue to practice abiding in Jesus, that maybe you modify your abiding prayer to include an abiding on the go. Something along the lines of, Jesus, you are with me. And I am with you. What are you doing at the grocery store? What are you doing in the coffee shop? What are you doing as I'm getting gas? What are you doing while I am helping my child get off the toilet? What are you doing while I'm sitting next to this person on an airplane? So much fruit can come from an abiding life in Jesus, but we can't limit it to just abiding alone or just abiding in a community group or just abiding out there. We need the full picture. And so, friends, I am well out of time. But you and I are made to abide. And Jesus, in our lives are to have practices and disciplines to reflect that. Worship team, you guys can come up. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded that many of us right now, our lives are so full that there is barely any space to listen to Jesus. There's barely any space to ask Jesus. Jesus, while you're in the coffee shop, what are you on about? Because you don't have time for it. I think many of us, as we look, if we do desire to grow in the abiding life in Jesus, one of the places we need to start is asking God to slow us down. So if you need help with that, there's some really good resources. There's a book called... um, uh, Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I don't think that's the full title, but Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, which is a great place uh, to look into that. But for others of you, maybe you're just frustrated that this abiding life seems like it's a really far off, cool Christian ideal, but it's not something that's actually attainable or able to be practiced in real life. And I just want you to know that that's just a lie straight from the devil. You are made to abide in Jesus. And he has made it possible through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of his spirit to be able to abide with the living God. And the world, the flesh, and the enemy would love nothing more than simply to get you to not abide with him. So with your community groups this week, get into some of the nitty-gritty of what do you want your practices to look like? What do you want your spiritual life? What do you want abiding to look like in your life with Jesus? And then together, 
Let's work towards growing and abiding. Our discipline this week to help in, with some of this uh, is uh, it's an end-of-the-day reflection. And we're going to ask you to ask three questions at the end of the day. And that, that's these. Where did you experience God's presence? Where did God feel distance? And what are you thankful for today? End-of-the-day reflection. You can do this around the dinner table. You can do this before you're going to bed. You can do this however you'd like it. Where did you experience God's presence today? Where did God feel distant? What are you grateful for today? And we're just trying to help put in building blocks for us to grow in abiding together in him.